the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. So please visit them at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, the one and only Tyrus, just Tyrus. And if you don't know who he is, you have got to listen. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. The book is Just Tyrus, and it is Just Tyrus. It is so him. I don't know him, like, super well, but I've observed this guy long enough, and I've gotten to know him a little bit here in the last couple months that it's just just one of the most authentic individuals I've ever met, and the book was as genuine as you're going to find, and I read it in about two hours. <laughs> it was so good. You know, I, I'm hearing it's a quick read. I don't know if that's a good thing or a that's bad a thing. That's a great no. thing. Uh, well, first of all, it's very tough to put down, Tyrus. Once you get into your life, it's 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 like, what's what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And and also, you're very easy to cheer for, and you, it's sort of like one of these Dickens novels where you want to see where this young man from a troubled beginning in life is going to get. So it's, I, I, I loved it. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Before we start, I just have to say that uh, as a ball player who things didn't quite go the way I had planned, being interviewed at halftime by you was one of my bucket lists. And although it didn't happen on the field, <laughs> I am excited that some things do, uh, do come true. So I am so excited to be interviewed by a legend like yourself. Today. Oh, so, jeepers. So uh, the, let's just get that out of the way. Okay. You know, so I'm, that's out of the way. The, the ball player in me was like the old lineman because the old lineman, we never get interviewed anyways. So, I, and you know what? The old linemen were my favorite people to talk to. That is the God's honest truth. You can ask anyone I worked with. I always said, like going into a, a week of Sunday night football, okay, Michelle, who do you want to talk to during the week? I said, give me the center. Give me the left tackle. Give me someone on that line. Who's your best lineman to talk to? Because they had the best stuff. They were always the smartest guys. And we are. Funny. And, and funny. And happy, so happy that somebody wants to talk to us. So you're going to get, you're not going to get the wide receiver on his tenth interview about his abs and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Going, you know, I'm just going to be me and do what I do. You know, the we're prepared, we study, like we're ready. You know, we practice in the mirror. That's yeah. what we do. Uh, the best. We don't, we don't do the towels. We don't do the spats. You know, yeah. we, it's a grungy, grungy job. So it's it's nice to get. And I always say we have to know everything. And uh, we got to know what everybody's doing. And we also have to be able to play with the fact that they're not going to cheer for us, even though Tom Brady can't throw one touchdown pass without those five guys in front of him. There's no question. There, but there's no question. I, 
I digress. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, so before we get to your book, I, I mentioned to you last night, I texted you and said, we're in the first 24 hours of a school shooting when we've got to address it. And you yeah, agreed. There's no, and, no way we can't. You know, no and, way. I think it would be and, selfish to, to do anything other than that. Well, you know, my first reaction was hope that when I saw hospitalized, I thought, okay, this gunman wasn't accurate. These kids are just hurt. And then you get the punch in the gut. And it reminded me so much of Sandy Hook. And I, a lot of people are saying that for a variety of reasons. Um, it, it was so eerily similar in some ways. And and these are, first and foremost, these little innocent lives, right? You have kids. I have kids. I got an eight-year-old at home. So you, this has to... Uh, I got an eight-year-old and and 10-year-olds, and um, I actually asked them not to go to school today. Really? Uh, Yeah, and and so none of my kids went to school today. And why did you do that? Uh, A a couple reasons. One, I just couldn't take myself out of being in that waiting room. The anticipation of wanting to hear your child's names called coming out to you in the hallway at the school and looking at the parents whose child's name's not being called, who's not coming through the door. And as the list gets smaller and smaller, that the, the imploding of your chest. And I just couldn't imagine waiting for horrible news. And that's what the parents were doing yesterday. And it just made me think of the last things I said to my kids before I sent them off to school. And two of my kids, uh, I was busy flying and I didn't talk to them. And uh, I I don't want to hear anything political. There's nothing political about this. No. Um, and I just couldn't get that thought out of my head. It was, I know the last thing they said to their kid, their, the kids wasn't goodbye forever. You know, it was, and I just, I thought, when are we going to start doing something about our schools and our kids? Because the reason why our schools are getting shot up is because they're so accessible. They are. They're soft targets, right? We know this. Yeah. They're not going to go to an airport and shoot people up. They won't get in the gates. They won't get in the door. Uh, They're not going to go to a sports sporting event and do that, you know? Um, But when there's, one person there or no and in some cases no people there a four-foot fence my my daughter goes to a private school and i walk her to a glass door and ring the doorbell and then a nice late old lady comes out and i sign her in if i had bad intentions i'm in yeah and you know and then it's it's over and i just feel like i don't want to hear the arguments about gun control and no. this that's not the that's not the argument it's not the argument because these monsters whose name I will never mention, um, they're not going to, they're not going to get it through the proper channels anyways. They're not concerned with, uh, registration and, and things like that, but you have to protect with the idea that they're out there Yeah. and we have the ability to do that in this country. And that's what's so frustrating. You know, everyone envisions a world that they would like to see where everybody loves one another. Nobody's violent. uh, There will never be another school shooting. But then there's the world as it is, Tyrus. And I think that's what you're referring to, that the world as it is, it has evil people in it who will figure out a way to get around whatever they want to get around to do their evil. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In this case, apparently the guns were acquired legally. I don't know where the red flags were about this kid. I don't know if there were deserved red flags. There was no criminal background. I won't mention his name either. Yeah. I mean, and at this point, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what his reasons were. I, I just don't care. I don't I don't want to psychologically find his his reason. The reason being is it's kind of has nothing to do with the next one. They're not they're not connected in other than just the, the totality of the easy target. Right. The only thing they have in common is if I want to two things you get. You get infamous and you get and you get victims. That's what you get with schools. Yeah. Because they will do documentaries about you. There will be specials about you. If you you're a martyr, um, you know, and that's the problem. And we can't take guns off the street just like we can't take drugs off the street. And we need to. And like I I had to have a conversation with my eight year old that they're monsters in the world, just like the the shows we watch. When we watch David Attenborough and we see the zebras in the field and there's lions watching them. We have lions, too. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you don't see them coming. And we have that's why when. Daddy says you always have to hold his hand when we walk into the supermarket or you always have to stand next to me. It's not that I don't trust you. It's not that I don't, I think that you can't do it. It's that I don't trust them. Right. And you would think you don't have to talk to your eight-year-olds and your 10-year-olds about things like that. But I had to talk to my kids yesterday and it just really bothered me that the best thing I'm hearing from politicians is an argument that about guns. I mean, it's such. I mean, it's such a simple thing. School Protection Act. Exactly. You get volunteers. You have two trained officers, security guards, mercenaries, whatever you want to call them, National Guard, whatever, and they protect our schools. Yeah, yeah. All it takes is two golf carts and eyes. That's all it takes. They control the perimeter of the school. Yeah. People come in. They go through there. I don't. I mean, if you can't form. I mean, it's not necessarily the teachers that are doing this stuff. Metal detectors, all those things are fine, but the only way you do anything, and you can take it straight out of any scene in, in, if we break it down just to be in the wilderness, how do the meerkats and things like that, they always have a sentinel. They always have somebody watching, somebody barking, somebody looking so people can go about their daily lives. I don't understand why. You want to, and nothing against Ukraine, nothing against those other things. If you can drop 42 billion every three weeks to help them make their fight, you can drop a billion in america i mean we can raise the money i mean you, where are these entrepreneurs where's bezos where's yeah. these billionaires you know let's stop going to the moon for a minute and let's yeah. let's protect our future astronauts and scientists with just giving and it's, it creates jobs and people take pride in that yeah and and you know? and there are people among us who would probably 
do it voluntarily. I don't think that I that can, would. I can guarantee you yeah. that there, we used to have when I was going to school, we had the crossing guard. I went to school in Los Angeles and our schools were outdoors. We had our security team. And the reason why I call them a golf car is because a lot of them were big, older uh, ladies who we feared. Uh, <laughs> but you, even if you took off running, you weren't getting away from them in the golf cart. Right. Then we had our sheriff, the police, we had the sheriff car out front. You always saw it. It was always there. And the sheriff was always in there. And he was in the office when you walked in. When you signed in to go to school at Quartz Hill High, the first, before you even got to the administrations, you walked by the sheriff. I wonder why that isn't the case in, in other well, places. One of the things with the defund the police oh. movement, a lot of those school programs were cut. And it just, that's why I look... If we want to get things done, we can't look to the government. It has to be in the private sector. You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to come to that conclusion as well. And in many ways had come to that conclusion in other areas. But this is one. It's so what what I braced for, like you said, I knew what was going to happen immediately. We were going to get two sides, each dug into their corners, shouting, ignoring the fact that there are these parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and friends in this small town who are going through absolute hell right now, not to mention the their, children their and the teachers that over. we lost. Their life is... They're trying would, to figure out how to breathe today. Yes, exactly. Ex- that's exactly what they're trying to do. They cannot breathe. And yet we have these opportunistic politicians saying, gun control. And, you know, even Steve Kerr, who I enjoyed covering as a player and a coach, comes out and points the finger at the Republican Party. I'm sorry, Steve, the Republican Party isn't in power right now. So no. if it, you don't just point the finger and say they're the bad guy, Th- this has got to be, I think what we're seeing in America right now is we are seeing how little work our Congress actually is willing to do. They just, they just like to talk, Tyrus. It's not even that. It's This is why term limits are so important. Yeah. Well, the... Um, and- at my, I did a, a Q&A stand-up book signing show in Utah with, with Greg, and this uh, uh, a couple of people were like, Tyrus, 2028. I said, I couldn't possibly ever get elected. And they're like, why? I said, because I would run on two things, term limits. Anyone who's been in Senate for 20 years or longer, thank you for your service. It's time to go. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to see any more less lawyers and more construction workers, teachers, policemen, more people of America doing their service for a short time. And, and that's what it is. It's not about getting, making money and speaking fees to have mansions because all of our senators and congressmen end up becoming millionaires. You know, yeah. even the socialist has two mansions. So, you know, obviously there's a huge disconnect and they might actually care what's going on in our streets if they only have a short time to, to be there and their legacy will be what they did for their 12 years. Yeah. You know, and if you want to stay in it, you move up. You know, you you move up the ranks and then you run for office. And then when it's done, thank you. I mean, it's just this is what happens. I hadn't heard one person say we can't control the bureaucracy stuff. We can't control who's got guns because, okay, maybe he doesn't have a gun. So he comes in with two machetes and starts swinging and hacking like bad people find a way. Yeah. And so you have to make, as you said, soft targets, hard topic. And And it's the deterrent. Because the first time one of them gets shot down on his way in, the next one won't go that route. Yeah. Unfortunately, they'll find another target. Yeah. I just, 
prefer if we have to have those targets, at least it's with adults that have a fighting chance in some cases. But our schools are so easy. And unfortunately, the the upside and I, I hate the upside for these animals is that they'll be recognized instantly. They'll be on every news cycle and they'll be martyred. And you have to look at their when you look at their social media stuff, there's all times there's a ton of red flags when these yeah. individuals do this stuff. But they'll bust they'll go after somebody. Like you'll get if you if somebody if you spend your credit card twice in a store, you'll get a fraud alert. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. So if someone's talking about hurting people, there's not an alert. Like you, you know, I, I just I'm I pride myself on being an intelligent guy. And it's driving me crazy that these are easy fixes. I know. But I know that I know what the problem is. There's no money in it. Yeah, exactly. No and if you solve the issue, then you don't get to fight about gun control as much anymore and, and raise money. I'm sorry. That's to do with. It, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, it, it just doesn't. And if you want to say, well, then take all the guns out of everyone's hands. OK, it, let's yeah, see how you're going to take all the drugs out of everyone's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It, Just like so you're going to stop every pedophile from, I mean, they literally have websites in this country, the stuff we fight over and the stuff that's really going on. Right. This is insulting to anyone who takes the time to look at this stuff. And when you, and we got to change our, and a lot of this falls back on us. We got to change our voting habits. We just can't check the box anymore. We got to right. make these guys earn it. Yeah. And just because somebody has been there, a Mitch McConnell, a Pelosi, they've been there and you, these they still have the same problems from when they got in. That should tell you something. And and they will always just point at the other side, no matter how long or what kind of majorities they have or anything. They're always going to just. I mean, this, could have been, this is an executive order. Yeah. yeah. Where are you? I mean, and especially President Biden, who knows this pain. Personally. More than anyone. Yeah. And yeah. I know. And if and when it happened to him, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he wasn't wanting to hear. Well, let's ban every car. Right. 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 I'm sure that's what, what it was, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, I, uh, before we leave this, this is excruciating to watch. It's um, like you said, you just, you look at your own children and Sandy Hook happened. My son was about 10 and uh, no, he was younger than that. He, he was about six. So my math and my daughter was tiny. So I remember sobbing that day because it was so, so real. Um, and th this is not far from that. And certainly for you, you're right in that wheelhouse. My kids not are teenagers now. Like two days left to school. I, they're I, getting awards. I know. They're out at recess. They're planning their summers. You they're know, just they're being so excited. Kids. Yeah. And they're being kids. And let's not mistake, there, there's more casualties. The ones that live, the ones that survived this, they will never. Be the same they will never sleep the same again they've yeah. been exposed to things that people only see in war yeah so it, it's that community is forever changed yeah and let's yeah. not let's not underestimate the impact of that if we are sitting here with teary eyes talking about it imagine being connected to it yeah it's it's unimaginable and i think if you once you even try to take your mind there you retreat because it's so it, immediately the pain in your chest is too much to bear. Yep. Uh, so we are, yeah, you know what? 
for those of you who say F your prayers, no, I'm still going to pray for those people because that's all I can do right now. They don't, yeah, I mean, they don't know, know me. They don't know who I am. All I can do, the only thing I can do is think about solutions like you propose solutions, look for people who are ready to implement those solutions and damn it, pray for these people because they are victims. You know, when you hear thoughts and prayers from from everyday people, I think you want to hear those things. But when that's the only solution coming from an elected official, oh. I think that's the problem. That's that is the problem. That's the problem because that you're is not there to do what we're all going to do. We're all going right. to pray and and hope for a better day. But it's up to you to give us solutions. Give us and we can do that on our own. Yeah. yeah. We don't need we don't need a senator saying thoughts and prayers. No. I want to hear. I want to hear solutions. And like you said, there are plenty of practical solutions I mean, out there. I'm not I keep... a genius, but it, well, you, know, you kind of are. You're borderline genius, Tyrus. But it's you not know? that hard. Uh, often, no. you know, we. And again, it goes back to that online thing. Like we we get we got paid, we got scholarships to protect somebody, and it's not that hard. And if you can make billions of dollars with five guys keeping one guy off his back, you can damn sure do the same thing with five people at a school watching. I mean, if you break it down, just the simplest terms. No, no question. Not, it doesn't have to be fiscal this, that, whatever. It, it can be done. It should be done. And I challenge communities and mayors across this country. You don't need to wait for them. No. Uh, governors as well. I think that each yeah. state can decide we're going to allocate this money because uh, we got a surplus here in Minnesota. Yeah. And and, it, hey, it, listen, in, in my neighborhood, in my city, I'm, I'm making the call. I'm going to reach out to our, our sheriff, uh, Sheriff Randy, and I'm like, what are we going to do about our schools? What do we have to do? Fundraisers? What do I got to do? Because I, 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 everyone knows me in my community and they love me. But when I walk up to school to pick up my daughter, I want to be shook down just like everybody else. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. We love John Gutfeld last night. Uh, where's your pass? Yeah. You know, exactly. what's in your backpack? You know, exactly. exactly. So, and I'm okay with that. You and me both. Um, so much to say about this that we couldn't possibly say it all in this podcast. No, we'll but uh, about this. I mean, the next time you're on, on Gutfeld, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again still. We will. And we should. No question. All right. On that note, quick break. Back with Tyrus after this. You know, folks, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted. But gold, gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are insane. The stock market is incredibly volatile. Inflation is even worse than it was last year. And now we have this war between Russia and Ukraine. And that could end up involving much more of the world. The markets don't like this instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that'll protect your wealth and retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time. Because remember uh, 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options for investing in gold and silver. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866 
528-1903 or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. His name is Tyrus. The book is just Tyrus. Here's what I need to know, though. So what is your what was your name at birth? So, OK, that is a great question. Uh, <laughs> it actually changed twice. When I was born, I was too big, believe that or not, <laughs> uh, for my mother's 15 year old frame body. So they had to get uh, the. Well, they're salad prongs. There's no other way to describe it. I understand. So they had to squeeze them on my head to pull me out. And I got a little dimple from the prong mark, right? It's still there? It's still there, right there. Oh. So when I came, and the problem was they got my head out, I had these traps already. (laughs) So just when she thought it was over, they had to turn me sideways to get me out. Oh, my God. So when the nurse, they take you and they hand you to the nurse, and the nurse, the nurse said, "My God, he looks like Hercules." So they were trying to convince my mother uh, that they should name me Hercules. They're like, "Look at him, like he's just a monster." Like, and he's cute. I mean, babies are ugly. Let's just be honest. But I not love, all of uh, them. No, when they first come out, the smushed well, head. Oh yeah, not, that's true. The smush. Okay, it, it, fine. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. But she was saying that he was a, a cute version of Hercules, and uh, uh, but my. Uh, biological father was set on me being junior just based off the physical attributes coming out. Okay. I was, uh, I think I was 22 and a half inches. I was uh, 10 pounds. I was a big. Ouch. And uh, so it was George T. Clement Jr. And what was the T for? Uh, Timothy. Okay. Okay. So that's what I was, uh, that was my namesake. He was, he was a junior. I was uh, technically, I guess a third, but right. Um, he, you know, uh, weird, he'd be bad with math along with parenting. So, uh, George T. Clements Jr. was what I started out as. Okay. And, uh, that was what I was most of my childhood until I started playing sports. Okay. And I got to, uh, Mount Gleason junior high school and I was trying out for their, I think it was the basketball team. And then it was like a, it was like an intramural basketball team. And then it was like, um, and they're like, what do you want to be called? Like, and I was just registering the school and I was signing up for sports and stuff. And I just thought that it would be rude to have that name on the back of my jersey. Because? My mother, because of my mother and because of what she went through. And her last name was Murdoch. And I was with her and I wasn't with them. So I lied to the school intendant and said, my name is George T. Murdoch what's the T stand for? And I said, T that's it. So, (laughs) and, um, so it stuck. And when I got to high school and stuff, my mom just never really, she just said, okay, son, that's what you want to do. And there was, there was always this fear in the back of her mind that he was looking for me. That your dad, your biological dad was looking. She always had that fear because sometimes you attach your own, integrities to villains whereas he wasn't giving a a rat's ass about me and my brother at that point he was living whatever world that he was into but in her mind she was thinking what would she do and she would be searching for us so there was always that fear and as i started to get recognized for sports and uh 
I won my uh, ninth grade talent contest. I did a stand up. I did steal a little bit from Richard Pryor. I have to admit that. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, the, no one watched the videos, so I got away with it. But um, I started to get notoriety in, in locally and stuff. So uh, being a Murdoch, one was an homage to my mother for trying and being there, and it just stuck. I, high school, college. And it wasn't until like my senior year in college when I was getting ready for graduation and stuff, one of the boosters said, hey, that's not your legal name. And I said, so it is my name. <laughs> so and then they, you know, there was an issue with the school and then the, basically the dean said, how long have you been George Murdoch? And I said, since I was uh, 11. He was like, then you're still you're George Murdoch. And then yeah. some law, one of my buddies was a, a pre-law mate. He's like, you're allowed two aliases in this country. So, <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool, man. Thanks. So I never wanted to carry that name. Um, and I think rightfully so. But uh, in the book, I talk a lot about, especially in the acknowledgments where I talk about learning to forgive him mm-hmm. and myself uh, for a long time, that burning anger the the defiance of uh, that's not my namesake and things like that it does affect you it your fuse is shorter especially in sports where i had all the talent in the world but the the knock on me was i wasn't mentally tough i would get aggressive i could be easily taken out of my game okay so when when they say mentally tough meant that you reacted sort of without control rather than if a coach so, criticized me, yeah, I would be defiant. Okay. I could not handle tough coaching. Okay. Like, and because I didn't, I looked at any time, uh, especially a, a white man, which 90% of my coaches, they were, not their fault. But whenever an older white man barked at me, it was rejection from my grandfather. It was abuse okay. from my stepfather. So it was, and I would always like I was the guy you wanted to play next to because I always had something smart to say about the coach <laughs> you know but that doesn't help you get picked in the snowballs and senior bowls yeah when you know he's he's a he's a great ball he's a you know I remember coach Morris who um my offensive line coach at uh UNK he used to say I'd be getting taken out to lunch by every NFL scout in America if you would just keep your head in the game and I like lunches I love to go to lunch. I especially like my lunches to be paid for. You know, all you got to do is stay low and shut up and you'll be playing this game for as long as you want to. And even that, which was a compliment, I took he was hating on me because I was black. Really? You try to figure that out. But I had my I had my escape and my issues and a lot of that had to do with my anger towards being abandoned. Right. So I wouldn't allow anyone to abandon me. I wouldn't invest any connections or roots with anyone. Like when football games was over, I went to my dorm room. I didn't go to the parties. Right. I didn't, I was the most socialist guy on the field. Same thing with, with performing when I'm on the stage and I'm doing my thing on the life of the party. I make everyone laugh. Right. When the show's over, I go back to my room. I'm well, quiet. I have a theory about the, what the reason you liked to make people laugh too. It's because when you were eating those peppers in front of your mom and making yes. her laugh, that was one of the, the biggest accomplishments you felt as a little tiny little boy that yeah. you were and able to make, sad. make her laugh. Yeah. My mother was always sad. Yeah. Um, she was scared. She was scared to death and people don't. And I, I, 
I didn't think it was necessary to go into a lot of the specifics in the book. I think everyone got the general idea. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, I still have to protect her. And it's still her story. I told my part of it. But I don't believe in telling other people's stories. And there's a few times in the book, like when I had my stupid run where I thought I was going to be the next Scarface because I didn't want to work hard anymore, uh, yeah. where I write, this is where my story ends. Because I had that voice in my head that was like, don't do this anymore. And when that, I don't even know, remember her name is, but when her smart ass called me a drug dealer in front of everybody, it, it like woke me up. And it was like, and this it, is it, not what, you know, I'd rather be broke. Quite and frankly. it's interesting and that that came from a girl. And I'm just yeah. wondering because y y your mom, did you, did you have your mom on a pedestal or were you more just protecting her? What, what was your. No, she was on a pedestal. It okay. was, a, it was an unhealthy relationship in the fact that I looked at, like I could give her everything she needed. And again, that's not from, that's from a child's yeah. perspective. Yeah. I don't know anything about adult stuff. I just know why would you need a boyfriend when I'm there and my brother's there? Why would you need a husband? Like we're here. Like we had no, no concept of, right. you know, and so that for me, it was like my mother was my everything because she came back for me. And the other side of it was, I was a constant reminder of the monster that she survived. I look exactly like my biological father. He's darker than me, but I look exactly like him. So it's uncanny. Except he's just, I'm just a lighter version of him. Is he as big as you? No, no. That, I, Lou Ferrigno did that. Um, <laughs> no, I swear, I mean, my, my, my family biologically, genetically, I think the closest one to me is like 6'2". And you're 6'8", um, right? Because I was, at four years old, I was watching The Incredible Hulk when it came on. I think it came on Sundays or something like that. And I just, every time that... Uh, David Banner would change. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change. And then I'm going to whoop, you know, he's not going to hit my mom anymore. And I would tell him, I'm going to get big one day and you're, you're going to regret it. And I, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, which isn't very threatening from a four-year-old, but, <laughs> so but, but to me, I thought it, it, it was. And um, sometimes TV being the babysitter can be a good thing. I was just lucky that I grew up in a generation where every TV show, the message was the good guys win. Yeah. The method yeah. was morality in every TV show. Yeah. It was yeah. never, and everything was kind of filled. It was like, if you do the right thing, good things happen. Yeah. You do the wrong thing, bad things happen. And that's like, not like you grew up watching the Sopranos or Breaking Bad right, or something like that. Yeah. Where the villain, and I, some of it's, there's, there's two guys who ruin good guys, and that's Darth Vader. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, they ruin, <laughs> they ruin good guys across the board. Like oh. it, it's their fault uh, because Vader was cool. Yeah. Nobody wanted a Luke Skywalker action figure. You wanted Vader. Absolutely. And, and he was a deadbeat dad. And, you know, he was a horrible person, but because he breathed through a mask, which ironically we all ended up breathing for a while. Uh, <laughs> we were, we're all Darth Vader for a while. Like, you know, hey, let me ask you, I, I need to ask you this because it wasn't clear to me in the book, and I hope I didn't miss it. And if you can't answer it, then don't. But when was the last time you saw your biological dad, father? I've seen him twice. And um, the last time I saw him, I was having, trying to understand him. 
uh, I flew out to Sacramento, California to meet him. I had workouts in uh, California. I was trying to get on with the San Diego Chargers. And uh, I was being financed by this by this guy named Julius Bouvet, who was uh, an entrepreneur, let's say that, who was financing uh, financing a semi-pro team that was paying you more than the Arena Football League was. Wow. So there was no reason to play Arena Football if I could play 11-mile field and stay in shape for when that call was going to happen, because we all think that call is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, every year you're away, away from it is 10 years. So, um, and we had a game up there and I forget, I always, my problem is there's always somebody with the nicest intentions who's trying to connect me to somebody because I'm a lone wolf and they're always trying to connect me. And somehow they did research and they, the Clemens thing and they looked it up and they reached out to, I think it was Facebook or some, I don't remember what it was. It was, I think it was before Facebook. It was way, way before, but anyways, they got in contact with them and they invited them, him and his new wife to the game. And I was remember sitting there with Cornelius who was, he played for George Allen at Long Beach state and he had become like a big brother to me. He had me bouncing all the clubs with him. And, um, unfortunately, unfortunately the constructs of the book, they made me take a lot of, I wrote like 370 pages and they made me take a lot of stuff out and okay. Cornelius will be in my next book. But, okay. uh, and I was sitting on the sideline because all linemen, we sit together. We don't associate with the others, as I would call them. I would say, like, you're too pretty to be over here. Go over there. Go over there. Like, <laughs> there's no mirror over here. And um, I hear someone yelling, that's my firstborn. That's my firstborn. And I turn and look at this ridiculous dude in a poncho with, like, a, a, a hat off to the side. And, I'm, and I remember Corn goes, man, that dude looks just like you. And I was like, what? And I'm looking going, oh, my God. So you didn't know he had been invited. No, I didn't even know that he had been invited. I still to this day don't even know how they re- how the, the the booster or the the it was like the assistant GM for this uh, semi pro team. That's how legit put together they had it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't when we were leaving, he was at the stands like waving like, hey, and I just kept walking. Really? Yeah. And um, I could hear him yelling. What were you feeling in your gut at that moment? Sheer embarrassment. Really? I was embarrassed for him. And I felt absolutely nothing. I was just, why did you come here? Like, that's what I thought. And as I stopped, I went to go back to confront him. And I remember Cornelius going, you don't owe him nothing. So let's go, man. And we left. And then it happened again in the WWE. Um, he showed up in Boston at the TD Garden. And he had went to Will Call and said that Brodus Clay's father's here. And that I should have left tickets for him. Brodus so Clay he, being your, your stage well, name, name there. Yeah. yeah. For and, people who aren't up to yeah. speed yet. And uh, when the guy came up to me, and I'm I'm friend, I'm not, I don't hang out with the GMs. I don't hang out. I hang out with... The equipment managers, I hang out with the guys behind the scenes. That's my crew. That's where yeah. I live. That's yeah. where, you know, those are my buddies. And the trainers and stuff. And the the guy who does our tickets came up to me and goes, did, I'm sorry, did I make a mistake? Did I miss something? Was I supposed to leave tickets for your father? And I said, my father? What the hell are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, there's a guy here with uh, four people saying that they're, he's your father. And I said, what? 
And I said, yeah, he's over there. And I said, well, let's take the walk. Cause I just thought it was like some fan or something, you know? And then when I stopped, I saw him and then I was like, no, nah, tell him how much are tickets? And he was like, we're sold out. Then that's what you tell him, you know? And then uh, my sisters who, uh, cause he has like 17 other children. Um, reached out to me on Facebook and they said, you know, he came to see you. He's so proud of you because they don't know him like I know him and he loves to see you dance. And I said, the only way he'll ever see me dance is I'll come to his grave and dance on it. (laughs) I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. And I I won't, I won't disrespect your show with the rest of my language, but it was colorful and basically him and the horse he rode in on and anybody who's down with him can go. So I didn't speak to my siblings after that because you have a gross misunderstanding of the monster that you have around you. Right. And how how can you not be supportive for your mother? Because I guarantee you it didn't end well. And I never I never communicated with them again. But I never gave him the opportunity for amends because there was no reason for it. You cannot undo what you've done. And the book is a lot. You can go forward. And that's what I did. Once I forgave myself for letting letting him control me, even though he was not a part of my life, the anger for him affected me and hurt me in a a lot of opportunities in life. It also gave me a desire to prove him wrong. So it was like a double-edged sword. Yeah. But once I was good with me, there was no reason to reach out to him. I did not care for his answers. When did you finally click? I'm good with me. I mean, When when I had my son. Really? When I had my son, uh, when my son was born, it's like my daughters are different in a way that like I worry about my daughters every minute of every day. And I still don't have the ability to say no to my daughter. <laughs> so, I mean, Roblox cards, like, I mean, I, every time like my daughter, Georgie, uh, every time my wife sees Georgie going to the store with me, she'll be like, do not give her anything. <laughs> I need- and, and let me she, guess. When we come home, Georgie's like, look what daddy bought me. And da 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 da. Because she knows <laughs> as soon as she goes, daddy, I really need this. And I'm like, you know, you're not. Well, uh, all right, man. Just one thing. Just one thing. <laughs> and then it's just, that's me and my daughters. Like, you know, and the same thing with Nala. Every time Nala's like, dad, I really need this. Uh, you know, so I'm like, I'm on Amazon. Consider it done. You know, yeah, and yeah. where my son, everything's, you got to earn everything, son. Yeah. yeah. But. When he was born and I was holding him and I was traveling and seeing him and seeing his uh, sister, I would think to myself when I was wrestling in Europe and I didn't, and he couldn't talk yet, but if I didn't get a daily video of what my kids were doing that day, I was in a bad mood. Yeah. And I thought to myself, this dude never went through any of that. Like he never did any of that because he didn't want me. And why the hell am I angry at a guy who didn't want me? I don't know him. And I'm like, look at all the joy that he's missing out on. Like it was his loss, not my loss. And so once you, there's two ways it can go. Cause I've seen the other side of it where you just aren't friends of mine just weren't able to connect to their kids because they still were fighting. They were still a kid themselves fighting themselves. But once the first time you hear daddy, the first time my daughter walked to me when I came home, uh, the first time they watched, they pretended to be wrestlers or when now when they do talk show interviews and <laughs> do their own podcast, which some of them need work. 
but (laughs) I love my kids. Uh, but that joy, um, he didn't get any of that. So I don't even feel sorry for him. It's like, and I realized that I can't get any of that back if I was to miss all that and he can't either. And he doesn't deserve to get the finished product because he wasn't, he didn't help mold it. He didn't help make me. And so that's why I said to him, I did it without you with other men. Um, It took a village. It took mistakes, you know, and so we're good. We don't know each other and we're never going to know each other. And I'm good with that. So it it just, kids do that to you. Yes. Well, they do a lot of things to you. That's yeah. there's no question, especially when you do when want you them up. and you show up. And uh, I, in reading the book, I, I just it all made sense to me uh, because you are someone that I would call an overcomer. There are people who are born into bad situations and they they don't know, they aren't equipped somehow. Maybe it's because they don't get the influences you did. Maybe it's because they don't have the brain that you have. It's, I'm sure it's a combination. There are so many dynamics that go into this. But you overcame so much. I, that's why I just want everyone to read this book, Just Tyrus, because it, it explains so much, of, not just about you, but about how you can do this. I, to me, it's like... Give this to every young kid in America, because no matter what their situation is, they can see there's a roadmap. And for you, it was do the right thing. Even when you sometimes made the wrong decisions, you ultimately found your way out of that. And not to cut you off, we have a a, I can remember hopelessness is an ugly addiction. So when something's happening to you, especially when you're young you don't see that there's a time limit. Like when I was getting hit, for example, when my stepfather punched me in the stomach and I couldn't breathe and I was on the ground and I was coughing up whatever I ate and I was in horrible pain. And then, and and he would go sit, go smoke a cigarette, whatever. During that time, I didn't think it would ever end. And there was never going to be a way out. And so you, you, can feel yourself submitting, just giving in. And as my brother would say, if you didn't stand up to him, he wouldn't hit you. And I remember looking at him going, but I got up. And when I stood up and brushed myself off and wiped my tears off, I would tell myself, the next time he hits me, I'm not going to cry this time. And I would keep telling myself that, like, you are not going to beat me because I'm going to get bigger. There's going to be tomorrow. You know, the the sun comes up, you got a new day and it's a new chance. And the mistakes I made of not telling anybody was because I was, I was like, I'm going to beat you, but I don't recommend that. I believe, especially now when the, the power of telling, you know, because we were taught when I was growing up, tattletale and, you know, snitches get stitches and all that. When you tell on a, somebody, a parent, when they do the wrong, we live in a world now where everyone will take notice. Yeah. And when someone puts hands on you, you speak on it. But I didn't. Uh, and that wasn't just the, culturally, it just wasn't the way it was. But whenever I got knocked down, and I don't know if it was Muhammad Ali watching Muhammad Ali videos or, or whatever the case may be, every time I got knocked down, 
uh, I, my first move was get up. It just get up. He's I'm not going to give it to him. And sometimes I got hit again, you know, because I would he would hit me and I would hit the ground and I would get up. And sometimes I'd even say stupid things like that's all you got. Yeah. But he would frustrate him and frustrate him. And I again, I don't recommend it. But in me, it was just I'm getting stronger. I'm work. I'm getting smart. I'm going to read every book in this house. Like I'm going to, I'm going to beat you in every aspect of everything. So I just, I figured that there was, if I learned everything, if I toughened up that I would beat this. And eventually once you realize that there is a tomorrow, it's not so hopeless anymore. Like he's getting tired. It's getting harder for him. And that aspect as twisted as that sounds, I was winning and I'll never forget the day that he slapped me. My mom had got a, we, they were moving for, they were moving to Palmdale, California and they had this new house and my brother had met some friends and they were running and ch- we were playing tag. I think we we're playing uh, capture the flag or something. And my brother was running from the kids and they ran through the house and they had dirt in their hands. And my brother like was on the wall. So there was handprints all over the wall and he ran outside and what, and when they came home, they saw the mud on the wall and they were livid, you know, it's a brand new house. And you duh, duh, duh. And I looked at my brother and I winked at him and I said, sorry, my bad. And they didn't, and Craig didn't like that type of language. He didn't like black talk, as he would say. And he walked over to me and he smacked me. Now, usually when he would smack me, my head would go to the side and I'd crumble. But this time when he smacked me, it was like, and I was sitting when he smacked me. As I stood up at that moment, I realized I'm taller than this dude. (laughs) And normally it would have been a slap, left, right, whatever. He stepped back and he did something he never did before. He looked at my mom and he was like, you better do something with your son. Oh. And as I turn and look to my brother and I look to my brother, my brother was like, don't do it. I looked to my mother and my mother just said, she said, George, please please sit down. She knew it was coming. She knew that it was only a matter of time, but I had, at that point, he was no longer a threat. Now I was lucky that I had sports and friends and I had heroes and I was, you know, I worked hard. And so, but you have to put in that kind of work. Not everyone's going to be six, six. No, you know, they're not. Or six, eight. Yeah. Or six, eight. (laughs) At that time I would think I was six, six. But the point is, is though, even if you're five, two, Courage makes you bigger and you can fight through it. And maybe you don't beat him up, but you do call the police. You do tell your school teacher, you do, you fight him in the best lane that is best for you. You know, if you're a little girl and someone keeps touching on you, you tell, you don't, whatever threat they give you is not worse than what they're doing to you right now. And once you learn that their window, because that's what abusers do, they make you, they try to put you in this bubble to where everything goes through them. There's, you don't breathe without them, you don't eat without them, and you can't reach out to anyone without them knowing. And that's how they control you. That's when you realize it's just a bubble, and as soon as you reach through it, it pops and their power is gone, suddenly things are a lot easier. And um, that to me is the message because I, I don't, my story is my story, but my troubles are our troubles. 
We all have scars. Every one of us has had someone hate us for some reason or the other. We've had horrible things happen to us. And the difference between those who make it and those who don't are the ones who lie in it and the ones who don't, you know, and the ones who stand up. And sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is to stand up and and telling and talking. You always hear kids like, well, he said he was going to do this to my, he's not going to do anything to your family because he's doing it to you because he can't do it to people in your family. Right. Right. Like I said, there's, there's monsters, but that was my biggest thing is once I realized that there, he was, Craig was not the universe and that there were things better than bigger than him. And that's what gave me, I think that's what gave me strength and the the ability to get through it. And once I got through it, I was like, I'm good. It's some, it's, it's a remarkable story. It really is. And it, Encourage is the key word there. What's interesting to me before I let you wrap, and I, 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 I can't encourage people enough to read this book for so many reasons. It's terribly entertaining too. You'll laugh. You'll. It's it's terrific. You, you have to laugh sometimes. You have you you, you have, to. have to. And that's why the people in this world who want to shut down all kinds of comedy are are sad, soulless people. But yeah, that's another story for yeah, another they're, day, Tyrus. But. So you're, I realize you have your story. Your mom has hers. Your brother has his, but I was curious, you and your brother, same biological makeup, you turned out, or at least you approached this issue, maybe because you were older, he was younger, very differently. Are you still the two of you very different? Yeah, we are. um, I did a good, good, bad job as my brother's parent because kids can't raise kids. And I always took the fight for him. I never allowed him thinking I was doing the right thing right. to learn to fight. So he was different. He found ways to avoid things. And we fundamentally just don't see things the same way. Um, He hates me. I don't write about him. We don't talk. The last time I saw him, he wiped out my bank account when I was in WWE. So I had to say goodbye. And the last time I spoke to my brother, I told him I loved him. I did the best I could, but I can't know him anymore. And um, we're both better now. Uh, when I think on it, I get sad that you'll never know my kids. Um, we'll never be together. Like, I, I just, one of the things that, in writing this book, I realized that sometimes it's okay to say goodbye. Sometimes just because your blood doesn't mean you're supposed to be together. My mother has a good life. Uh, My brother has a good life. But when we're together, it's mangled and twisted. And there's just some scars you can't heal from. And sometimes the most responsible thing to do is say goodbye. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But I just can't know him anymore. 
I am sorry about that. At the same time, I am in such admiration of you being able to make some very, very, very difficult decisions from the time you were born, really, from the time you were four years old, hoping to take your dad out so he he didn't couldn't couldn't hurt your mom yeah, anymore. I, I probably should have realized what TV was about back then. I didn't know stunt <laughs> doubles, and probably should have researched that a little more. But I would like to argue I was four. So you were yeah. just four. I can't even life life lessons learn. Yeah, very <laughs> this Tyrus... TV stuff might be fake. Yeah. Oh well, you know. Anyway, I, I'm you've left me at a bit of a loss. I'm emotional for you and with you, but I. I it's all closure. Yeah. Sometimes it's still painful in a good way because if mm. I didn't care, what does it say about me? And then I can shed a tear at the process of saying goodbye, but I don't regret saying goodbye. We are all better apart. Yeah. There's some things you just can't, and I guarantee just kind of bring everything back together. The families that were torn apart from what happened yesterday, some of them will have to be apart. Yeah because they just can't relive it every day together. No, yeah, it's... And so in, in this aspect, and I was very respectful of my family because even though we don't know each other, they're still my family. Yeah. So I don't think I said one cross word about no, my brother or my mother. Uh, really, book. honestly, it's the way you approached it all is is has great restraint, beautiful restraint. This is not a bitter book. This is a no. journey. And I'm not a victim. No. And I love you for that. That's why this is so exemplary because it's so easy to, as you said, you called it hopelessness, a, a, an awful addiction that you can fall into this sense of, I got no, I got no power. I got no control. I have nothing to save myself, but we all do. We yep. need to find it and we need to teach kids to find it. I, I, parents, teach your kids to find their power. You're, you're raising adults. You're not raising babies. They are no. babies when they start, but you are raising humans. Make you them strong. You can be their friend. And no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. And, but I'm not my kids' friends. And I have to tell them all the time, like, <laughs> I'm not your friend. I'm the one that's going to ground you. I'm yeah. going to take all the stuff I bought you away. Because I want what's best for you. And they yeah. get mad at me and like, you know, they'll tell me my TV show's stupid and <laughs> <laughs> nobody wears a hat on TV but you, Dad. Is it because your hair is spotty? So, you know, is, hey, they fire on me. I mean, they're around me, so they gotta learn the the, the quick wit. But I, I think your kids are are so lucky that you're their dad. I, I genuinely mean that, Tyrus. I think you are an amazing human being and Folks, when you read this book, you discover the gritty process, the the churning, the, the pain that sometimes that journey requires to becoming a great human yeah, being. Every road's got bumps in it. And if it doesn't, you, somebody did something wrong. Yeah. And, and, and your life really isn't interesting you will, if you don't you have the bumps. Be, yeah, no, and, and you'll be probably not a good person. Right, right. God, I could talk to you for hours, Tyrus. I hope we have more opportunities uh, oh, anytime, to see each other. Anytime to be on the, with you and and uh, you got me a little bit. You Dano Perino me. Oh, uh, I'm st- try to get me the tissue box, but you know, like I said, I first questioned like why would she leave 
sports, she's a guru. You know, like you, Linda Cohn, are like two, like I consider the goats. You oh, know? gosh. And, and um, I got more then, to say. I got more to say. You do. And then when you do your interviews, I'm like, oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> there you go. I answered my ask a question, you're going to get an answer. Sometimes you might not like the answer. But you got me all choked up and stuff. So uh, saw the world's biggest lip quiver. Uh, uh, it is funny though when you get emotional because I'm looking at the camera when I start. I'm like, you will not. Don't you dare. She'll be like, she'll slide a box of tissues and be like, we're gonna name this dog Tyrus. Like she would go, you know, and then lean yeah. in to try to get a reaction out of me. So uh, you I'll have to let. So Dana you're know. used to it. You got yeah, it. I'm usually hey. one step ahead of Dana. I'll, I'll merely crack a joke, a preemptive joke. But you, you caught me. You got me. So I, I got lulled into your your journalistic. Oh, trap. it's my my little web. My yeah. yes. Hey, so, man, yeah. I don't quit your J job, kid. You, you uh, got it. <laughs> well, look, congratulations on the book. People read this book. It is so worth again. It's it's beautiful because it's a quick read. It, you won't be able to put it down. There's we didn't even touch the Snoop Dogg stuff. We didn't. Nah. There's so much. And um, so, listen, I. Uh, uh, n- nothing but respect. Thank you, Thank so, you so much, much for all this time. And I'll hopefully I'll see you again in New York. That anytime, would be fun. man. Yeah. All anytime. Right. The great Tyrus, everyone. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.